Labor Day weekend is time to talk about work, I think. Uh, I always feel like I ought to talk about work on Labor Day weekend, uh, probably because I like to talk about work. And I like to talk about it because I don't think we talk about it enough. The uh, Bible has a whole lot of information about work. Uh, that's what the uh, a lot of the writers wrote about, and I'm sure that the preachers in the early church uh, preached a lot more about it than we do. Uh, I heard somebody say the other day that you ought to remember that there's one book in the New Testament about how to become a Christian and 21 books about how to live as a Christian. Uh, we ought to be balanced in our presentation, and that's when we read the New Testament, we find uh, that the writers were talking to Christians and telling them how to live in the world. And work is a huge part uh, of our life. We did a big series on work a few years ago, but I think it's good to refresh it a little bit every Labor Day. So uh, let's talk about that. And, and there's a lot of ways to talk about work. In fact, it was hard for me to decide uh, what direction I wanted to go today. Uh, my first thought was, and it was kind of stirred up by the events of this week. You probably saw on the news that uh, folks at fast food places were striking in lots of parts of the country because they thought they ought to make $15 an hour. Uh, I thought, man, I ought to preach on that a little bit. Uh, I, then I thought, well... It'd probably be more of a rant than a sermon, so I probably shouldn't <laughs> preach on that. Uh, and then I realized there's not going to be many of those folks here that are that confused about how the world works. Uh, so I decided, now nah, I better not talk on that. I, I actually hope there's enough, especially of our young people, uh, that have enough education, either through life or your parents teaching you, to understand that's not how the world works. Uh, it may sound like a good idea to somebody, uh, but in general, the world rewards uh, skills and rarity of skills. That's the way the world functions. If you've got no skills, you get a low-skilled job. And a low-skilled job, since anybody can do them, are low-paying jobs. Uh may strike some of you as strange, but that's actually the way the world works. Uh, the more you can do that other people can't do, the more money you get. You know, I see every once in a while in, in the paper that some ball player got $8 million, $10 million, $20 million or something, and I think, you know, I'm smarter than that guy. I know I can preach better than that guy. But lots of people can stand up and talk for 30 minutes. Very, 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 very few people have the hand-eye coordination and the temperament to hit a 98-mile fastball in the ninth inning when the World Series is on the line. If you can do that, you get millions and millions of dollars because there's hardly anybody that can do that. Okay? That's the way the world works, but... Unfortunately, we've been so confused by somebody that I actually heard on the TV the other night I was watching some news program and they had somebody on that was arguing for huge pay for uh, fast food workers. And their, their reason was, well, I know a 34-year-old woman 
who has two kids and she works at a fast food place and she can't support her family on that. How many problems have we got in that story? Okay. Uh, But the main problem is, well, it's not supposed to support a family. It's not the way the world works. When I was 13 years old, I started working in a machine shop, and they paid me 50 cents an hour. I had no skills. I knew how to work, but I didn't have any skills. So I swept the floor, and I cleaned machines, and they gave me 50 cents an hour, which is about what it was worth. What if I'd have gone to the boss and say, how, on 50 cents an hour, am I ever going to buy a car and afford a house and support a family? Back then, I I wouldn't even have thought of such a thing. That's not what it was designed for. But I got 50 cents an hour to do what I could do. And then when I saw something else, I'd say, let me try that. Would you teach me how to run that drill press? Would you show me how to run that grinder? Would you let me run that mill? Would you let me work at the drafting table a while? And that happened over a few years. And I was making more than 50 cents an hour because I was learning skills. I was getting more valuable to society. That's how it's supposed to work. How did I get off on that? I said I wasn't going to talk about that. (laughs) Something else I thought of talking about was parents and grandparents teaching your children to work. I thought that would be a good topic. I wrote a little bulletin article about it. Uh, and I think that's a very important thing. But most of you do, I think. Most of my audience here already does that. Uh, I will say this. If you're not teaching your child to work, if you're not making your child work at something, uh, you're crippling your child. They're going to have a harder time in life than other kids. Uh, that's also the way the world works. Uh, if you're teaching your child to work along with instilling that Christian character that you're supposed to be, uh, they'll make it in this world. I got thinking about this week, uh, that this week. I used to be a boss. I used to work in the, the business world. And I got to think about what type of employee did I like? What type of employee did I love, did I want to have? And, and I thought, you know, it ties in so much to what we just finished talking about, kingdom living. First of all, of course, I wanted somebody that knew how to work. I had two applicants, and one of them had never done anything but stay at home and play soccer or something, and the other kid was a farm boy. Guess who I hired? I picked somebody that knew how to work. But beyond that, if if somebody's honest and not judgmental and critical of others and doesn't do things just for show and has good morals... That's a good employee. That's all the kind of things we just talked about in kingdom living from the Sermon on the Mount, how Christians ought to live. So parents and grandparents, hopefully you're teaching your children, giving them opportunities to work and finding things for them to do. But I decided not to talk about that either. I decided to preach about what the New Testament church probably preached about a whole lot more than we think they did. Uh, how to be a good Christian employee. Uh, the reason I think they preached about that a lot is there's a number of verses. One was just read for you a little bit ago. 
a direct explanation of how to be a good Christian employee. But if you also think about it, what the New Testament church was like, in many places, it was made up of people who had just been converted to Christ, and some of them were slaves, and some of them were newly converted slave owners. That would be a strange church, wouldn't it? That would be a strange mix. Now, we've got employees and employers in here, but the slave thing adds a little something different to it. I got to thinking, we, we put on our bulletin the new families at Northside. Every few weeks we have two or three or four families that we put out there. And I thought, what if those little stories about those families that Mark writes, what if those little stories said, this so-and-so, this family, belongs to this family? This new family owns this family. They have absolutely legal right to do anything they want to that family, anything with them at all. What kind of sermons would you preach to that kind of new convert? Well, that's exactly what we read there. If slaves, here's how you act as Christians now. And slave owners, here's how you act as Christians. So I think the New Testament church probably talked a whole lot more about this than we do. Um, especially the essence of work, the essential purpose of work and why Christians ought to work and support their family and all of that, which is a whole other topic. But I want to just talk about what Christians, how to be a good Christian employee. I entitled it, Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho, It's Off to Work We Go, uh, because we ought to go off to work singing and happy and and all of that. In one sense, I think maybe you'll get that here. Uh, when I thought up that title, I thought, well, maybe it'd be cool. I could do seven points on this sermon, and I could cover the seven different dwarfs. And I thought, I, I was going pretty good on happy and even pretty good on grumpy. When I got to dopey, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> thought I might offend some of you. So I decided, we'll just have four points, uh, and we'll just have four verses is how we'll do this. So I'm going to give you four verses that you can take to work with you and help you be a good Christian employee. So let's go first to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, and we can translate this into employees and employers for our purpose. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence in the Lord, reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, there's some other points in here, and we'll get another passage that teaches it again. But the piece I want to take out of this, it is the Lord you are serving. When you go off to work Tuesday morning, hopefully happily singing, hi-ho, hi-ho, when you go, understand who you're working for. Uh, that's a big start on being a good Christian employee. If you understand, like Paul says here, you're working for Christ. And I know the company name is on your check and your boss's name is on the check and all that. But if you have the mindset that you're working for the Lord, 
you'll be a whole lot better Christian employee. Um, many of you know about uh, Bach, the, the composer. I've read that if you get his original manuscripts, uh, when he started one, he would write it the first I-N-H or J-J initials. And at the end, he would put S-D-G. What those mean is when he started, he would write in the name uh, in the name of Christ or Jesus help me. And then when he finished it, he would put solely De- Deo Gloria, which meant for the glory of God. Now, he was writing music, and most of it was church music and based on the Bible and all that. But I just want you to get his mindset. This is in the name of Jesus. This is for the glory of God I'm doing that. Uh, and whether you're writing music or sweeping floors or whatever you do, if you got that mindset, you're going to be a better Christian employee. The Lord's going to bless you, too. All right, second verse I want you to take with you is Psalm 75. Some of you may not be in exactly the job you want, and maybe a really rotten job, actually. But look at Psalm 75, verse 6 and verse 7. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man. It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. If you apply that to work, and I think you can, in fact I know you can, apply that to your work life, the future depends on God. Promotions, different jobs, God's going to exalt you. If you're doing the right thing, the right way, he's going to take care of it may not seem so like at the time, and I've told you before, when I got out of engineering college a number of years ago, there weren't any jobs. And we went to some places we didn't want to go. Uh, looking back 40 years later, uh, God was doing what he wanted to do with us. He had a purpose for all of this. And he worked out the promotions, and he worked out the moves, and he worked it all out. And at the time, we didn't understand some of it. But Psalm 75 says that's what God does. He gives the promotion. He exalts people. I read a thing by Henry Blackaby the other day that I think applies to this. He said, you never find God asking persons to dream up what they want to do for him. Without doubt, the most important fact in all biblical situations was not what the individual wanted to do for God. The most important factor was what God was about to do. When God came to Noah, he did not ask, what do you want to do for me? (laughs) He came to reveal what he was about to do. It didn't really matter what Noah had planned to do for God. God was about to destroy the world. He wanted to work through Noah to accomplish the purpose of saving a remnant of people and animals to repopulate the earth. I read that first and I thought, I don't know about that. And then the more I thought about it, he's right. You know, everybody in the Bible, with very few exceptions, they were just doing their job. You know, what was old Noah doing? He was raising three good boys. He was making a living, doing whatever he did, and handling it well. 
And God came to him and said, I, I've got something for you to do. Joseph, he got in a lot of places, and every place he got, whether he was running errands for daddy or whether he was working for Potiphar or working for Pharaoh, he just did the good job. And God kept working it out. Moses, whether he was a shepherd or a prince, he just tried to do a good job. Now, he's one exception. He got in his head, here's what I'm going to do for God. And God said, no, I'm not ready for that. It'll be 40 years before we get around to that. But other than that one example, basically everybody you can think of in the Bible, they were just doing their job. And God said, here's what I got for you now. Pretty good point, perhaps. Psalm 75. All right, third verse I want you to take with you to work. 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6 and verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Count your superior worthy. And that doesn't happen a lot in the business world. I've been a lot of places and heard a lot of different people spend a whole lot of time whining and griping about their boss. And I don't look at Facebook very often, but I have looked at it occasionally. And I've actually seen people on there griping publicly about their job and how pitiful it is and on and on and on. That's not just unchristian, that's dumb. But God says, you may have a bad boss. In fact, he admits that. He says in the next verse, if you've got a believing boss, that's one thing. If you've got an unbelieving boss, that's something else. And in another verse we're going to read, he's going to say, you may have a hard one, but you still count your superior worthy. You give them the proper respect. You treat them right. You don't whine about them. I used to tell the people that work for me, the managers and foremen and all that, I said, you can whine up. But don't ever wind down. You know, if you got people that work for you, you don't go whine to them about your boss or about management or about somebody else. You can come to me and whine about something. You can whine up if you want to, but don't ever whine down. Yeah, that doesn't help anything. It just destroys morale and makes a mess. So this advice here is not just... Because we're Christians, it's not just uh, the, the, the right thing to do. It'll pay off. You follow Christ's advice, follow the, the writer's advice here, and you'll be better off in the work world. First yeah. Peter 2.18 is that verse you can look up that says, there's no distinction between a good boss and a bad boss. You, you treat them both with the proper respect. Fourth verse, take Ephesians 6 with you. Ephesians 6, 5 and 8, 5 through 8. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. 
Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. All the points are kind of in there, and all of these verses kind of overlap. But the piece I want you to take out of this one is to serve wholeheartedly. That means serve with singleness of heart. Have you ever worked with anybody that's always talking about, I'm going to go get another job? Well, go ahead and go get it. You know, it's a free society, a free market. If you can find a better one, go find one. But if you're working at this one, work at this one. Work wholeheartedly, single-heartedly, with singleness of heart. I'm going to do this job. I'm going to do the best job that I can. If it's not illegal or immoral and your boss tells you to do it, do it the best you can. If it's illegal or immoral, and you get to obey God instead of man, but just do your job the best you can. I like what General George Marshall said one time. He said, and if you're in management, he said, enlisted men may be entitled to morale problems, but officers are not. I expect all officers to take care of their own morale. No one is taking care of my morale. <laughs> if you've got a job, whatever it is, yeah, you may not like it. Whatever, as long as you're there, do it with singleness of heart. If it's so bad you can't take it and it's ruining your life and all that, go find another job. But until the day you have that job, until the day you turn in your two-week notice, actually, if you turn in a two-week notice, you got to, for two more weeks you serve with singleness of heart. As a good Christian employee. Okay. okay, those are the four verses I wanted you to take to work with you on Tuesday morning. Now, why? Charles already, already mentioned a little bit of it. I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one is purely practical. God will handle things. If you wonder where the promotion is going to come from and the raise and the recognition and all that, if you follow those verses, God will take care of it. But the main reason is, is, is who we are. We're, we're salt and light. We didn't cover that part when we uh, did the Sermon on the Mount very much, but that's what we are. We're out in the world being salt and light. We're missionaries, like Charles, Charles said. You know, and sometimes we separate missionaries. We kind of honor the Vicks and the uh, Jonathan and people like that, that that go off somewhere else and represent Christ. Well, when you pull into the parking lot on Tuesday morning, you are going to a mission field. You know, a few of you may work in a Christian organization completely, but not many. So, so you're going into a mission field with people that don't know about Christ and don't act like Christ, and you are supposed to be salt and light. You're no less a missionary than Robin and Chrissy or Jonathan or anybody else that goes overseas. And that's why the Bible talks so much about it, is that's how we do what we do. Uh, I encourage you, Tuesday morning when you go back to work, uh, Make up your mind to be a Christian employee that day. God will handle the promotions and rewards and the raises and all of that, and you'll be an influence 
where you are. The lesson is yours. If you have some need this morning, we'd like to help you with it. If you need to uh, put Christ on in baptism, we're ready to help you with that. If you have any other need publicly, come. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>